On today's podcast, we're going to spend some time with Richard Birdie and talk about how he has spent his career as an athletic trainer. So let's get to it. Rich, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to come talk with us. Uh, Richard has worked at the, with collegiate assignments with Lock Haven University, St. Francis University, and Wake Forest University. Um, he's done this while being active with Pat, uh, with the Young Professional Committee. So we're going to get in and talk a little bit about his experiences and welcome him back to Pennsylvania after his uh, short leave down south and uh, um, have some fun with this uh, podcast. So, Rich, how have you gotten to this point in your career? First, I just want to say thanks for having me on uh, Pat's podcast. I think it's a great idea. Um, but how did I get to this point in my career? Um, so I first started uh, in high school. Um, I took a couple sports medicine classes. Um, so I sprained my ankle. Saw the athletic trainer. His name was Mike Maseko, uh, otherwise known as Magic, um, at Hazleton Area High School. Um, our high school had a reputation of producing some really good athletic trainers. Uh, probably the most notable one was Eric Sugarman, who's now the head AT with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, cool. So our high school has always had a good reputation of producing some good athletic trainers, um, mostly due to magic. Um, so then after that, I went to Westchester University, actually. Um, not a lot of people knew that. No. Um, I, I spent the semester there, and then I transferred to Lock Haven. Good choice. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I completed complete graduate degree at Lock Haven. Uh, met some really great people there and then uh, was able to get a grad assistantship at Lock Haven and then complete my master's degree at Cal U of Pennsylvania. And then I received my PES there as well. That's also awesome. So you did the performance enhancement track. Yes. I absolutely love that program. That's what I uh, did with mine after uh, Duquesne. It's I, I think one of the best values in the state personally. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I used it quite a bit at all the places that I was at. And I think, you know, the framework that it has, uh, you know, it allows to give you some, some real life data, um, you know, even into fusionetics nowadays. So now with, uh, with the performance enhancement uh, title that you have, do you mainly use that? Um, do you pair that in with your rehab or are you mainly working that into your healthy athletes uh, with more of the traditional, um, I guess, performance coach kind of mentality? So I worked it in both ways. I worked it in preventative ways and as well as um, in rehab. So we would always do, uh, you know, overhead squat evaluations on most of our athletes, or at least I would anyways, um, and then kind of produce a value and then go from there on how to correct those values. Um, but even in rehab, I'd always stress movement over you know, almost anything else, uh, you know, you want to move well and then functionally perform. Rich, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about the fusionetics. Um, I, I took PES as well and, and that was, but it was before that, that program come out, has come out, had come out. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and like what that is and, and do you find value in that over just, you know, a, a visual overhead squad or any other type of more, um, you know, FMS type movement screen? Yeah, so Fusionetics, um, really easy to use. It, it's an app. Um, you can use it on your phone. You can use it on a tablet. But it basically gives you the same things that you learned as 
you were going through your PES, you know, you do your knees go in, do your feet turn in. Um, but then, you know, you check yes or no for all those answers and it provides you with a value. So say on a zero to hundred scale, it provides you with, you know, overall your overhead squats is 71%. You want that as close to hundred as you can. Um, you know, the less you are, you're in the red is I think zero to 50 and then 50 to 75, you're in the yellow green is 75 to hundred. So obviously you want to be close to hundred. Um, and then it just provides the athlete with a normative value of where they're at in, in terms of movement. And then it also provides, you know, corrective exercises on how to correct those deficiencies. Cool. Do you know, is there any data um, on those uh, kind of ranges of percentages and in, in injury prevention or, or um, injury in general, you know, like the FMS, we were like, you know, below 14 and, and this, you're going to be injured. And then that kind of came out in the wash. Um, but do, do you know, is there, is there any data like that uh, for, for the Fusionetics? I think there was some early studies done in 2017. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if there was anything more recent, um, but it was also done by Fusionetics publishers. Yeah. So I'm not sure how accurate it is, but in my experiences, you know, at St. Francis, when we used it, I think we had maybe one or two ankle sprains um, in the, we were doing a lot, a lot of proprioceptive stuff, mm -hmm. but, you know, just being able to get the athletes on board and show them that they were deficient, you know, yep. kind of gave them a purpose on why they need to do stuff. Yep. And then, it, you know, it also helps with the buy-in because mm -hmm. they see a number and they want to improve the number. Yeah. A little dopaminergic uh, benefit there. You actually get to see the result. That's huge. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, you know, you've spent a big chunk of your career at the division one setting. And, and that was one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is to kind of get the, get the viewpoint from the, the D one athletic training. We've had a lot of other settings on the show so far and just kind of getting their experiences. So can you talk a little bit about D one experience and, and what a typical day looked like for you at the D one setting? Yeah. Um, so I'll start for, I guess, from the, from where I started to where I recently was. Um, so when I got to St. Francis, you know, I was, I was nervous. I've always wanted to work in division one. Um, but I was nervous to start at D one because coming from Lock Haven, I worked D one wrestling, but you know, I was with a preceptor and you, you weren't by yourself really. Um, so I got to St. Francis and it was, it, it, it's just like anything else, you know, you get used to it. Um, but I don't think D one sports should scare anybody at the end of the day. It's still sports nonetheless. Uh, and the injuries are still the same. The athletes are still the same. It's just, you're playing different opponents. Um, so I think, well, you know, once I got over the fear, it just kind of, your, your training takes over. Um, and then, you know, I worked women's volleyball and softball my first year. And then next year I worked women's volleyball and women's basketball and then kind of progressed to where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in men's basketball um, at the division one level. That was one of my goals coming out of Lock Haven, and I was able to get there uh, with the help of a lot of mentors and, and people along the way. Um, so I got there and then kind of, you know, uh, the coach at St. Francis, Rob Krimmel, um, really helped in my development. Uh, and I had a, had a good relationship. And then uh, also the women's soccer coach, Brenda Von Strahlen, um, you know, they've been huge in my development and just in, in, per, in terms of relationships. Um, I've had some great coach athletic trainer relationships. Um, so I think that's a huge part of the division one experience is the relationships that you're able to build 
and, you know, I was able to be with those coaches for three years. So, you know, first, first meeting is, is pretty nervous because you're dealing with some, some highly important coaches. Um, but then, you know, you develop trust with them, they develop trust with you. And then after that, everything is, is pretty easy to be honest. Um, but yeah. So then after my time at St. Francis, I went down to work at Wake Forest University, um, which is, it was amazing. You know, the facilities down there, they, you walk in on your interview and you're just, you're wowed by what they have. Um, you know, it's the ACC level, uh, you know, the sports medicine staff is outstanding. Some of the best in the business. Um, and then, you know, you, you get to work in that environment and same thing, you know, the athletes are still athletes, but, uh, you know, the opponents are much more uh, athletic, much more uh, in terms of preparation. It's a lot more in depth. Um, yeah, like a typical day at that level. Um, out of season, I would say we had 5.30 a.m. practices. Uh, so the athletes can get out before their first class at 8 or 9. Um, so we would get there around 4.30 to start taping and, uh, you know, do any pre-practice stuff, which was very minimal. And then, so get the guys taped, get them upstairs to the practice facility. Practice would start around 5.30, uh, usually last to about 8. So right around a two-and-a-half-hour practice. Um, and then the guys would shower up, take any shots after practice, um, come back down for any post-practice treatment, then get to class. And then uh, athletic trainers would usually document or do any type of, like, post-practice rehab if guys had time and then take a short lunch break and then come back and then the guys started cycling back through for you know midday rehabs if there's any long-term rehabs going on but I would say like two to five usually um, would be our our time to do rehabs and it was kind of just like walk in if you guys need anything come on in and then we'll be here um, yeah the facilities down there were outstanding we had you know PT clinics, several AT facilities, uh, basically anything you could think of. So were you were you on campus then from 4.30 in the morning until 5 o'clock? Is that about roughly your hours on that off-season? Yeah, some of the days. Uh, yeah, I would say so. You know, my boss, uh, he was the, the guy with men's basketball, and I helped him out. Um, so he was there probably even a little bit longer. Uh, he was there probably, you know, four, four o'clock in the morning until about six or seven some days, depending on what athletes walked in. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't imagine what his, his schedule looked like. Um, I tried to get out and work out and, and, you know, take myself out a little bit to kind of refresh, but, um, Good, yeah. yeah, out of season, out of season, that's what it looked like most of the time. And then in season, if it was a game day, we'd show up, uh, for shoot arounds, which would be probably four, four hours before, maybe five hours um and then eat a team meal and then the guys would get off their feet a little bit for about an hour come back in get taped two and a half hours before and then tip off and then any post-practice stuff so depending on what time the game was at uh, it could be it can turn into a long day so at Wake Forest were you was um were you primarily only with um men's basketball there and and then you said you're kind of like an assistant so there was two of you just for men's basketball yes there was there was two of us for men's basketball um in addition to that I was uh the concussion coordinator there 
Okay. So anytime anybody got a concussion, um, they came to me for any type of testing, like impact testing, best sack, um, any, like our concussion protocol, they came to me. Um, so I did their, their I did their baselines, um, any type of post-injury stuff, and then return to play testing. Um, the athletic trainers handled all on, like on court or on field stuff, and then they would test with me. Gotcha. So that was like my main priority and then yeah. i did basketball as well oh that's cool i, I like that um kind of takes the that 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 stress level off of the primary athletic trainer and like hey you know i i, I diagnosed it but now he's got to go through the protocol with rich and then that you don't have that back and forth with the head coach all the time it kind of takes that level of stress off there so i like that um what was I going to ask you? Um, so what, what did summers look like for you? What, what, what did your contract, are you 12 months or were you 12 months there? Um, you know, what were the responsibilities look like there? And, and just like overall, what was the expectation level of, of your availability? Like, even when you're not there, like, are you constantly answering your text messages? Like, you know, what, just kind of give me that D one feel. Like I've heard some, some horror stories there. So I'm just curious what your experience was with that. Yeah. I think, you know, having two people with basketball was, um, I don't think it's, in, in division one, that's not common. Yeah. So I think that was, that was very helpful in terms of, you know, splitting responsibilities um, with Greg Collins and myself. Um, he's been there for, I think, 24 years. So he's, he's built everything up from the ground up. Um, you know, really great things that he's done down there. Um, so him and I would split responsibilities um, depending on what day it was. You know, I would take some rehabs, he would take some rehabs. Uh, and then we would both tape together. We would travel together. Um, okay. So I, I think that really helped out. I don't know if I got the necessarily the ACC feel, uh, but having him above me was it was it was rewarding at some points. Um, so I think that helps. But in terms of availability, yeah, you're pretty much expected to be available. Yeah. Um, if if anybody needs anything, they were going to get that pretty pretty quickly. Um, if we need an MRI, a, you know, an X-ray, anything like that. It was going to get done fairly quickly. Yeah. And what about summers? What would that look like for you? Um, so summers, I kind of got there in September. Um, so I'm not sure how the summers would look. Gotcha. Yeah, like yeah, with yeah. COVID and everything. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, so nice. at St. Francis, I could say I worked 12 months there. Um, summers, pretty laid back. You know, I think we would work four to five hours a day, okay. depending on if there was any practices or anything. Um, you know, basketballs came back early, footballs came back early, which changed things up a little bit. Um, but other than that, it was just cover what you needed to do and then, you know, yeah. kind of show your face and, and you're able to, to get out and enjoy yeah. summer. Right. Because you so put now with the... 12 hours a day in the, in the normal season. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to equate this full year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, was St. Francis a direct hire or was that a contract site? So I was through St. Francis and then they okay. recently transitioned to UPMC. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, Rich, we were talking a little bit offline about just the, the resources available at, at different D1 um, with St. Francis versus Wake Forest. Um, and, and I know at D3 uh, where I, I work, you know, we, we've, we have very limited resources and I wear a lot of hats. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that and, and what your experiences were with the different resources? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the landscape of, of D1 is very broad. You know, I think that this, the universities that are able to absorb some 
some funding from football, from men's basketball, from even women's basketball, softball, all the t- all the sports that generate revenue in terms yep. of ESPN or money contracts or uh, TV contracts. I think those are going to have a lot more resources. So your your power fives, you know, I, like I said, I walked in on my interview and I just saw things I I read about, things that you know you see <laughs> on on social media. So uh, it was huge difference. Um, so you know, Wake Forest had um, pretty much a specialist for anything you could think of. We had, um, you know, a, a doctor's clinic in our athletic training room. Mm-hmm. There was uh, physicians there daily. Um, and then we had specialists like a massage therapist come once or twice a week, depending on how many people needed it. Um, we had a DO that did some osteopathic stuff. Oh, we did nice. a podiatry clinic. Um, you know, we had countless surgeons to perform any special special surgeries that we needed. Um, we had a PT clinic that was run by PTATC, um, which really helped with, you know, bridging the gap. Um, we had a PT fellow who also helped out with things. So uh, in terms of equipment, we had hydro works, plunge pools, underwater treadmill. There was a Alter G Kaiser equipment. Uh, we had like six to eight units for BFR, um, Normatech. There was a cryo chamber in the strength conditioning facility. Oh, so like anything you could think of, we had a fluoroscope if we needed any quick imaging. Oh, wow. X-ray was on yeah. campus. That's awesome. Yeah. It was So obviously you had everything and anything you wanted. Yep. But that also involved a lot of a lot of people involved with all that stuff. How was the communication? Did you did, was it frustrating or was it actually seamless? Like, I mean, was, was how, how did that go? To me, everything was seamless. Like yeah. I said, you know, Greg um, built it up from the ground up, and then you know Murphy Grant recently got there, and you know those two are just taking it to another level. Um, but everything seemed so perfect. You know, yeah. people showed up when they were supposed to, you know, Greg handled all that, you know, scheduling wise. And then, uh, yeah, it just worked really well. Yeah. So you didn't have like, you know, the osteopath saying, Hey, he needs to do this. The podiatrist says, no, it's his feet. You know, no, the massage, you know what I mean? Like I could see that becoming an issue. Like everybody has their, their hammer and, and then everything looks like a nail. Right. So I'm glad for the, for the most, way. for the most part, everybody, you know, if you're, you're doing your job. I don't think anybody really questioned you. I think that was like the, the mutual respect and confidence in each other and trust. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it was, it was a great experience. That's awesome. As, as opposed to like St. Francis where, you know, we had four treatment tables in the athletic training room that I worked out of um, for like 300 athletes and we had four treatment tables. So we had, have a Google, Google calendar where we had to you know, schedule everybody basically from like nine, 9 a.m. until you know whenever practice is over because we didn't have enough space to do anything Um, you know in the fall we had physicians come once a week for clinic and then in the spring they were there you know I think once a month and everything else got referred referred to the office and then if we needed an x-ray you know it was referred to Medwell get the disc and then we'll check it out in the clinic Um, so it was definitely much I different like access. I mean, honestly, there there's probably high school um, facilities that that 
have more than than that you know um and, and even even come yeah you know, we get that i mean we have pretty nice facilities at, at dickinson for for d3 but you know we get that too with with high school kids coming in and like they had nicer weight rooms they had nicer training rooms like it's crazy to think but it just depends where your money's at and where you want to put your money within your your facilities mm-hmm. you know yeah and you know that's that's where that's where it is a lot of the money changes a lot of the equipment and things like that yeah priorities so now yep. I'm interested to hear more about um, the doctor's office or the doctor's clinic that you said you guys had. Now, was that like you had a doctor around all the time? Was it like an outpatient clinic where the doctor saw their own patient load and had time set aside throughout the day for you guys? How did that work? So we had two CMAs. Um, one was an administrative role. And then the other one was basically checking in patients. And then after they, they checked in, um, they would usually see a doctor. Um, so we had residents and then we also had our team doctors that came by, but there was probably doctors there from, I would say like 10 to one and then from like two to five daily. That's not bad. I mean, that's, that hits pretty much all the major times, uh, during the day when an athlete's available outside of class. Yeah. And then, um, so like I said, yeah, they would basically just schedule all athletes. So just be, you know, somebody would, our administrative assistant would do the schedule. Um, you know, if you're an AT and you need an appointment, you just reach out to her and then she would set it up. And then, yeah, it was, everything was covered. That's awesome. Seamless. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So um, what was one of the coolest experiences that you were afforded as an athletic trainer so far? So I've, I've had quite a few, uh, but I think, you know, when I was at St. Francis, I was able to travel quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I was able to go to Italy with our men's basketball team. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so nice. we, we played a foreign tour over there. We played three professional teams. Uh, but we, we went to Rome. We went to uh, Florence, Venice, Lake Como. Uh, so we went in, into the Vatican. We had a mass wow. in the Vatican. Um, so we brought our our father with us um, and he did a, he did a mass in the, in the Vatican. Um, and then, yeah, we went to Florence. We saw the Colosseum, you know, we saw all of this cool stuff over in, over in Italy, um, which so was, they were able to build in a little bit of sightseeing for you guys while you're out, out over there. Yeah. We played three games, you know, that yeah, takes, awesome. that takes like six hours, but the rest of it was just <laughs> enjoying Italy travel. Um, yeah. It was, that was a great experience. And then I also worked with um, an ODP soccer team and they went over to Barcelona and I was able to, you know, join them. So we went over to Barcelona, played, played in the tournament and then, uh, you know, toured Barcelona and Spain. So those are two experiences that are probably most memorable to me. Um, but like I said, I've, I've had quite a few. That's awesome. Um, so now you were involved in the Pat's Young Professional um, Committee. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the questions we like to ask is, what do you look for in a young professional? Or if you were, uh, if you were looking on to bring on an assistant, uh, what would you look for uh, as far as uh, somebody starting out? Yeah, so the things that I would definitely look for is, I guess we'll say on a resume, um, I would look for things that would be outside of like a typical responsibility of an athletic training student. 
um, for instance, you know, volunteer to do any type of state district, um, national type of stuff, uh, any type of volunteering like that. Um, are they part of the AT club? You know, any, any other ways that shows that they want to be more than just average, I think is huge. Um, because if, if they do that without really knowing it, I think that shows a lot about them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think references also play a huge, huge part. You know, you can put whatever you want on a resume, but I think, you know, the references really show who the person is. So I think your network. Yeah. I think the network also helps. Um, obviously a lot of, a lot of the time it's who, you know, not what, you know, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Fortunately yeah. <laughs> or unfortunately, I'm not sure, but <laughs> depends on where you're at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I do, I agree. I agree. The references are big, especially if within that network, but you know, you're not going to put a reference down that's going to say something bad about you. Right. So mm-hmm. I know as a, as, a, um, on the other side of it, if I'm looking to hire somebody, I, I obviously I'm going to look at the references. I'm going to call them, but if I can find somebody that knows them without knowing that, you know what I mean? Like that, you're going to get a better um, idea of, of who they actually are than just, uh, you know, checking their references. But um, I totally agree. Anything specific on, on getting to the D one level? I mean, I know that you said earlier, like that was your passion. You got there. Any, any piece of advice for those, you know, maybe that aren't at, because I know it's hard, especially I feel like a lot of D one athletic trainers went to D one school and, and you coming from more of a D two background, any piece of advice there to, to get your way back up into the D one level? Honestly, you know, the way I got there was my GA when I was at Lock Haven, ended up at St. Francis. Uh, his name's Ryan Lynch. He's uh, now at Lehigh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he was my way in. And okay. uh, I think, so, you know, keep in contact with people that, you know, that you graduate with that, you know, are that you work with. And then that'll kind of take care of yourself because your network is only as, as big as you grow it. Yeah. So network still comes back to who, you know, <laughs> yep. Who, you know, yep. that's how I got my, my way in. And then, uh, the way I got to Wake Forest was through the, all the volunteering I did, you know, the hard work I did at St. Francis. Um, but, you know, one of my student athletes, his mom worked in the president's office at Wake Forest. So, you know, I helped, him, <laughs> I, I helped him through a rehab. Uh, he had the labral surgery, um, helped him through that. And then his mom, you know, wrote a letter of recommendation to me, sent it to the people at Wake Forest and, that, yeah. you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, get, so young professionals get out there, network, and then do a good job and it, it'll, it'll get recognized and you'll, you'll be rewarded. I love that. Yep. I remember my, um, one of my first interviews, um, it was like three, three degrees of separation from, um, from knowing someone there. So during the interview, it was one of the assistant athletic trainers had a friend that was one of my ACIs in, in undergrad. So it was, they talked to that person, that person talked to somebody else to get uh, a reference for me completely outside of my knowing. Yep. So it, it's, it's really cool how, you know, how interconnected our profession is where, um, yeah, you're going to have these references, but they're also, you're also going to get um, good recommendations uh, from everything else that you've been involved in. And I, I just think that's kind of one of the fun parts about athletic training. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to get super out and get small world. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. 
So uh, I think um, if you guys are ready, switch to the uh, lightning round. All right. What do you think? Okay. Let's do it. So our lightning round, quick questions that can sometimes warrant a very deep answer. Um, so spend as much time as you want on these. But uh, our first question, uh, Rich, what is your dream job? Dream job, I would say working with an MBA team. All right, I like that, I like that. What do you do for fun? Uh, I like to work out, I like to golf, um, obviously like to travel. That was one of the, <laughs> the biggest things I loved about athletic training. Um, and then, uh, you know, just be outdoors, watch Netflix, you know, relax. Yeah, got to relax every once in a while, especially when you're grinding 12 hour days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So what inspires you? Um, I think the, my willingness to succeed, uh, to be honest. You know, I, I hate knowing that I let somebody down. Um, I hate knowing that I did a bad job with something. So I, I just always try to do whatever I can to succeed. And then if, I, if I'm good at it, you know, try to exceed those expectations. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm Self, self-motivator, yeah. self-driving. That's that's yeah. really awesome. Yeah. Just hate the, the, the hate for failure, right? Like I've always been competitive. Yeah, fear I, don't, of failure. I don't want to lose. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I'm, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be good at it. And if I'm not good at it, I'm just not going to do it. Like I, yep. just, I don't. Um, but uh, anyway, what does it mean to be an athletic trainer to you? I think this was a great question. Um, let me see. So to be an athletic trainer, I think, you know, obviously you provide the best medical care to your patient, whether that's an athlete, whether that's, you know, somebody in the, in the industrial setting, if you're working in performing arts, you always want to provide medical care to your patient. Um, but I think, you know, another part of the athletic training uh, job responsibility is, is the relationships that you build. Um, so I think, that's probably one of the bigger things that I've enjoyed is all the, the relationships that I've been able to build with athletes, um, coaches, administration, um, physicians, uh, you know, the relationships are, are really what are enjoyable for me. Um, and then, you know, I'll take this one from, from Murphy Grant. Uh, he always says that athletic trainers are lifesavers. He said, there's, there's not too many people on college campuses that can save a life. Um, especially after business hours and athletic trainers are usually on campus after business hours. So, you know, they're, they're the lifesavers of college campuses um, and even at high schools. Awesome. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Rich. That was a great answer. I would say we, we, Love it. we enjoy that question as well because we always get a good answer. And I think it means a little bit something different than everybody, um, but we always get a good answer for that. So I, I thank, thank you for uh, put, giving us your input. Um, <clears throat> I think that about wraps us up though. Rich, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, we appreciate it. And to all of our viewers, thank you for listening. Um, if anybody has any uh, comments or uh, ideas for future shows or guests, let us know. Um, and Rich, if you have any ways that people can maybe reach out to you, if uh, they have any questions or comments for you, um, anything, you know, any social media or anything like that you're willing to give us? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is R-B-R-T-I-E, R-B-R-T-I-E, 34 and then, um, yeah, if you guys want to email me, I can give you my email as well. Uh, so it's rbirdieatc at yahoo.com. Um, yeah. Cool. 
All right. I just want to say thank you to Rich for spending some time sharing his story with us today. And to our viewers, thank you for listening in. Let us know what you think of this format or topics you would like us to talk about in the comment section below. Until next time, I'm Adam Richmond. And I'm Philip Hensler. And this was the Pats Podcast.